want to point out that there are people on the move around the world today. I just took a picture or found a picture of some people who were traveling because according to the United Nations, this was in 2017, 68.5 million people were displaced from their homes. That means 68.5 million people had to leave their homes and figure out what happens next. Now, most of us are probably not dealing with a trial like that, but we can probably relate to the confusion and the anxiety that can surround an uncertain future. Maybe we're unsure what job we will have or where we will live in the next year. Maybe there's tension at work. Perhaps there's issues in the family or drama between friends at school. For believers in Jesus Christ, we often wonder what exactly it is that God is doing in our lives. We ask ourselves, is he really in control? And we may wonder, what is the purpose for what we are going through? We may be wondering, what's next? What's going to happen to each of us? What's next? What's the future of our church? Well, our church is entering a time of transition. And as I thought about that, it seems appropriate to look at a book of the Bible that is all about transition. So in the coming weeks, we're going to study through the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is all about God leading his people onto what he has next for them. This is a book about God leading his people forward. I'm excited for us to look at this book and and see what God has for us as we study it. There are some well-known passages, some famous stories in the book of Joshua, but the book has so much more to offer us. This book has action, it has war, it is drama, it has suspense. There's even a hint of romance in the book. We're going to meet great heroes like Joshua, Caleb, and Rahab. However, we're also going to encounter evil kings, deceptive neighbors, betrayal among God's people. If you let it, if you let it, the drama of this book can sweep you up in a way that is unrivaled by any film or television show. Gladiator and Game of Thrones have nothing on what we can find in this book. My hope and prayer is that this is a story that will engage us and that it will inspire us as we, like the people of God, move forward. This week we're going to talk about the book as a whole before next week we'll jump into chapter 1. But for today, I do want us to hear from God's Word. So if you're not already there... I'd encourage you to turn your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We're just going to read chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you'd like to use the red Bible and the seat back in front of you, you should find it on page 116. And once you are there, if you are able, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and then follow along as I read our passage for today, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 1. It's what God's word says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Let us pray. Lord, as always, we need you to be our focus now. 
as we talk through this book, prepare to jump into this book. May you be the one we see in it. May we look to learn more about you and be dependent upon you, God, dependent upon your presence. Be with us as we worship you and as we study through the book of Joshua. To borrow the words from John the Baptist, God, our prayer is that you would increase and we would decrease. And what we say here today, prepare us to study through this book and to look to your word for a message about you, a challenge to us, and a picture of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I usually say, let us consider where we are in Scripture, but we're going to spend some extra time on this part of the message this week, because again, we're preparing to study through the rest of the book. So we are in the book of Joshua. This is the sixth book in our Bibles. Now, we're not told who exactly the human author of this book is, but it was probably written by Joshua, with maybe some later additions by a a priest named Eliezer, or perhaps at least one other author helped with the book. The book can't all come from Joshua or from Eliezer, because the very end of the book, we're told that they died and they were buried. So there has to be at least one other person involved in writing. But even still, the book appears to be from eyewitness accounts. The person writing is writing as if they had seen this happen. Also, there are certain people in the book who it will tell us they're still alive at the time that the book is being written. There's some older historical references. In the book of Joshua, we read that the Israelites are not living in the city of Jerusalem. But a couple hundred years after the events of Joshua, they would take that city and they would live in Jerusalem. The conquest of the Promised Land was finished sometime around the year 1399 BC, so the book was probably written shortly after that. And twice in this book, Joshua himself is said to be writing something down. So it's not a stretch to think that he was at least a major contributor to the book we have. Now in our English Bibles, in your table of contents, you might divide the books of the Bible into different types of books. And Joshua is usually called a historical book. It's called that because it tells the story, the history of God's people. But in the Hebrew Bible, Joshua is not considered a history book. It's considered to be a prophet book, a prophetic book. He's one of the former prophets. What that means is that the events of this book are true, but the book was not written just so we could learn some history. This book is selective history. It's intended to teach us spiritual lessons. The book of Joshua doesn't tell us everything we might want to know about the people in it. It doesn't tell us everything about the events in the book. There are many questions we may still have as we read through it, but its purpose is not to answer all our questions. At the end of the day, the book is not really about Joshua. It's not really about the Israelites. It's a book about God and about His faithfulness. And that's why it's important for us to understand how this book fits in with the rest of the Bible. Joshua, the book, it's a fulfillment of a promise God made to a man named Abraham. God promised Abraham's descendants that they would have, they would live in the land of Canaan. That's modern-day Israel or Palestine. In Genesis 15, 7, God promised Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from a city called Ur of the Chaldeans, and I brought you to give you this land to possess. The Lord promised Abraham that even though he did not own any of the land in Canaan, that would not always be the case. 
Someday his descendants would possess the land. A few verses later, the Lord adds this. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners. They'll be travelers, immigrants in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants. They'll be slaves there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And God correctly predicted that Abraham's offspring would leave the land they were promised for 400 years. But after that time, they would return. God then said, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity, the sin of the Amorites, the Canaanites, is not complete. The sin of the people of Canaan would lead God to remove them from the land and establish Abraham's descendants, establish the Israelites in their place. And that's exactly what happened. The Hebrews went to Egypt, and they were forced into slavery. But then God used a man named Moses to lead them out of bondage and to start the journey home. Unfortunately, as they were almost there, the people became scared of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They thought they were too strong for them. They did not trust God to give them the land. And so the Israelites were forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, while a new generation rose up that God could lead into the promised land. Their sin prevented them from experiencing God's blessing. And sadly, their sin even impacted their leader, Moses. In a moment of anger, he disobeys God, and he is told that he cannot enter the promised land either. Moses' sin prevented him from continuing the journey with God's people. And this is a sobering reminder to us that sin has consequences. Later, even in the book of Joshua, we'll read another account of how sin among God's people can have damaging results. In chapter 7, we'll read about a man named Achan, and his actions would hurt God's people and hold them back from their purpose. Well, the book of Joshua picks up right after the end of the book of Deuteronomy, right after Moses' death. The old disobedient generation is gone, and now God's people are moving forward. This book is going to describe for us the conquest of the land of Canaan and tell us how the land was distributed among the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, before getting in, let's talk about this new leader. This new leader of the Hebrews is a man named Joshua. He was a descendant of Ephraim, one of Joseph's children, recognized as one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Like every other member of his people, of the Hebrew people, Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. And that means he experienced the plagues. He experienced the first Passover that led Pharaoh to let the Israelites go free. He was a part of the Israelites' exodus. He crossed the Red Sea on dry land. The first time that we read about him in the Bible... He is leading the armies of the Hebrews to battle against an attack from the people of Amalek. This is what we read in Exodus 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, here's the first time we meet him, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. At the same time, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's son Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses then is on the top of the hill, he lifts his hands. And while he's doing that, praying, Joshua shows himself to be a successful military leader. 
Verse 13 adds that thanks to the Lord's help, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Joshua would then go on to become Moses' personal assistant. He goes with Moses to receive the law from God on Mount Sinai. He witnessed God speaking to Moses face to face. In Exodus 33:11, we read this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again, when Moses went back to the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, he would not depart from the tent. Joshua would stay in God's presence. Joshua knew God himself. He had a relationship with God. Later, we'll read more about him. He defended Moses' reputation even when he didn't need to. We also read particularly how he was a spy who went into the land of Canaan, and he urged the Israelites to obey God and invade the promised land. Even though they were unfaithful, they didn't listen, his faithfulness meant that he survived the 40 years in the wilderness. And then he was commissioned as Moses' successor right before Moses died at the end of Deuteronomy. And so now as this book begins, Joshua has been commissioned. He's the new leader, and he is responsible before God to lead his people into the promised land. He now stands with God's people on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, a place called the Plains of Moab, and he is ready to move forward with God's people. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to walk through this book of Joshua, and we're going to carefully think about what God is saying to us in this book, in each passage. But to help us set the stage for that journey, this morning, I'd like us to think about the three main themes, the three key truths that the book of Joshua gives to us. These three themes, these three purposes, they're the major truths that we will return to again and again as we study through this book. There are other messages. There are other things that we can learn from the book of Joshua. But I believe that these three are the most important. The first major subject, major theme of the book of Joshua is that it is a message about God. The book of Joshua is a message about God. The most important character in this book is not Joshua. It is the Lord. This book was written so that we might know more about him. Well, what does Joshua say about God? Well, he tells us a lot about the Lord, tells us a lot about his character. Yet the two verses that we read, that we've read twice already, they introduce two key components of how we see God in this book. These two truths are repeated throughout the rest of the book. And so we'll talk about both of them. The first key truth of that, the first message about God we get is that God is faithful. Listen to verses one and two again. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. God's faithfulness is seen in many different ways in this book, and many different ways throughout the Bible. But here in Joshua... It is most seen through how God provided his people a land. He gave them a place to live. As we read this book, we are meant to see that God was faithful. He was fulfilling his promise to Abraham, not according to what the people thought, but according to God's schedule. In the verses that we read, God tells the people to take the land 
that was promised to them. This is the very beginning of the book. Well, let me give you a little spoiler. Toward the end of the book, we see that this promise is fulfilled. Joshua 21, 43 through 45 makes this clear. The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. This is the last phrase. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The people received all the land that they were promised. They had rest. They won every victory through the Lord's might. I, I really love the, this last verse. Not one word had failed. All came to pass. That is the main point of the book of Joshua. God is faithful. If he promises something to his people, he will deliver. Above all else, this is the major message we should see in this book. God is faithful. It's the main theme of the book of Joshua, and it was the main theme of Joshua's life. In fact, before Joshua died, he reminds God's people of this. He says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. And you know in your hearts and in your souls, you know all of you that not one word has failed of all the good things, or some people translate it, the good words that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. All of Israel knew by the end of the events in this book, they all knew that God had not failed. He had provided them with every good thing they needed according to his faithful promises. He had spoken words of promise, and he fulfilled them. When God promises something, he does not fail. We also see this in the last few verses of the book. I'm not going to read them, but if you look at it, the last few verses end with three burials. Kind of an odd way to end this book of hope. Joshua dies, and he's buried in the promised land. The bones of his ancestor Joseph are buried in the promised land. The high priest Eliezer dies, and he is buried in the promised land. All three of these men had spent most of their lives in a foreign nation, but their bodies are laid to rest in the land that God had promised to them. The author is reminding us even at the very end that God is faithful to his promises. We can count on his faithfulness. He will always be there for his people. He will bring them home. We're going to return to this theme again and again as we go through Joshua. But today, for this morning, take comfort in it now. Not in Joshua, but before he died, Moses said this to Joshua. He said, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God says the same thing to those of us who are his people today. Wherever we go, whatever we do, he is with us. He will not abandon us. He will be faithful to his promises. When life seems overwhelming, read the book of Joshua. 
and remember that God is faithful. That's a major theme we see about God in this book, a major message about God. But second, the book of Joshua tells us that not only is God faithful, but God is ready to move forward. God is ready to move forward. Verse 2 again kind of brings this out. The Lord says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Go into the land that I am giving to them. The time had come for God's people to move forward. God tells them to arise, to cross over the Jordan River. Their time in the wilderness was over. Now they were on to the promised land. The future of God's people lay ahead of them. And this is a powerful moment of God's grace. Because in this moment, Joshua and the people of Israel, they're mourning the death of Moses, this man, this leader who had taken them out of Egypt. But in this moment of sadness, God speaks. And he reminds Joshua and reminds the people that their success is not dependent on Moses. God is the one who determines whether they will fail or whether they will succeed. The success of any people, any church, any ministry is not dependent on one person. It depends on God. And this is a moment of major transition because God's people are forced to definitively break away from their disobedient past. They have a new leader. They should have a new passion, a new desire to move forward according to God's plan and His purposes. And the same is true for God's people today. We should not forget the past, but His grace, God's grace, His purposes, they march on. And we still have a task to complete. In the New Testament, there's a very similar moment of transition. Jesus is about to leave His disciples and go back to heaven. And in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he leaves them with these words, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Jesus reminds them, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the book of Joshua, God's people were about to take the promised land. Today, God's people are called to make disciples of their leader, their Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, change is hard. We should not rush into foolish decisions. But God's people are on this earth for a purpose. They have a task to complete. If they did not, they would already be in heaven. We have been called to share Jesus with those who do not know him. And we're to teach his word to those who do know him. God is ready for his people to move forward. And that's why the second message, the second theme of the book of Joshua is a challenge to God's people. It's a challenge to God's people. And that means, if you're a follower of Christ, it's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to God's people and a challenge to us. The book of Joshua doesn't just tell God's people truth about God. It challenges them to act on that truth. For the Israelites, that looked like trusting God to provide for them and living according to the law that they received in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. A professor I had named Dr. Michael Smith, he describes the theme of the book this way. He says the theme of Joshua is that God is faithful to his covenant, his agreement, his promises in providing the land he promised to the patriarchs, Abraham and those like him. God is faithful. But at the same time, Israel 
is to maintain their end of the covenant agreement, and they do this by exercising faith in God and by being obedient to His commands. Over and over again, this book will reveal God being faithful to His promises. He was righteous in doing what He said He would do. He gave His people a land that He promised them. Yet the Bible never just leaves us with a picture of God. It never says, here's God, end of story. There's always an implication. It's either said or implied that God's work, God's character, who he is, that should produce a response in us. Joshua shows us that God is faithful. He is loving toward his people. The question that then follows is, how will they respond? If God's faithful and loving, how will his people respond? Some of the most famous words in this entire book are found in the very last chapter. They end the book with a dramatic challenge for God's people. In his very last speech to the people, Joshua says this, Now therefore fear, worship the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away those false gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, well then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua offers the Israelites a choice. Serve the true God or serve false gods and idols. There are lots of false gods to pick from, but there's only one God who promised the Israelites a land, and there's only one God who brought them safely into it. The book of Joshua asks us this question, is God faithful? And if he is, if he's faithful to his promises, and if he is ready to move forward, then what will God's people do in response? The story of this book will flesh this out, We'll see that obedience to God leads the people to victory. Disobedience will lead to their defeat. And this is not just a message for the Israelites. God's people today, we know that He is gracious and that He is generous. He is faithful to His promises. He is ready to move forward with His purposes for them. The question that Joshua asks is the same that each of us must answer. We must ask ourselves, who will we serve? How does God's faithfulness impact our lives? That's a question we need to think about as individuals, each person, but also as a community. Look at your life. Will you trust God? When life gets hard, is He still faithful and good? Will you believe that He is faithful to you? In those moments of trial, will you cling to that faith? Or will you turn away from God? Will you turn towards temporary comforts and pleasures? They may satisfy you for a moment, but they'll not provide true satisfaction, peace, and joy. The challenge is for us as individuals, but it's also for us as a church. Are we ready to move forward with what God has for us next? We were challenged at the very beginning of this year to share the good news of Jesus. We were told to share it with our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, So the question is, will we do that? Will we move forward in that task? 
Will we follow God in whatever he has next for our congregation? Will we trust him to show us the way that we are to honor him and to show us how we build his church here? Again and again in Joshua, we are going to be challenged to depend on God's faithfulness and move forward trusting him. It may not be easy, but it will be worth it. And a comfort we can take in this is that we are not alone in this task because there is someone to help us. We find out who that is in our third theme of Joshua. Yet even if you're not a Christian and you're wondering what I'm talking about, I really want you to consider this third theme of the book because it can change your life. Joshua delivered the Israelites through military victories, but the book of Joshua This book paints a picture of a greater deliverer. It paints a picture for us of Jesus. Here's something interesting to consider about this. The name Joshua, it's an English version of a Hebrew name. I believe pronunciation is Yeshua. So it's Yeshua in Hebrew. In English, we say Joshua. In Greek, that same name is Jesus. So Joshua and Jesus have the same name. It's kind of like how John and Mary in English would be Juan and Maria in Spanish. Now, the Joshua of this book is not Jesus. He's an imperfect man. But in his actions and character, we see hints of someone greater still to come. And I'm not making this up. The New Testament makes this connection. In Hebrews 4, 8 through 10, we read this. If Joshua had given them, if Joshua had given the people of Israel rest, well, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then that means there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The author of Hebrews is showing us that Joshua prefigures Christ. He's a representation of what Jesus Christ came to do. Joshua wanted to bring God's people into a land where they could rest and they could serve the Lord. Jesus wants to bring God's people into the rest of God's coming kingdom. He wants to make them citizens of heaven so that they can serve God now. In the Old Testament, God's people were to trust in God and express that by resting on the seventh day. In the New Covenant, God's people are to trust and rest in Jesus Christ. This truth also impacts that challenge I told us. We were challenged, would we be faithful to God? How would we respond? Would we choose Him? Joshua challenged the people to respond to God's faithfulness and goodness. Unfortunately, there's a problem. Without Jesus, none of us can live for God. I really like how a pastor who wrote about this, Rhett Dotson, he puts it this way. He talks about after the book of Joshua, the cyclical pattern of obedience, victory, disobedience, failure. This continued to plague the people. And he says this sentence, God was with Joshua. God was with him. But it is only when God comes as Joshua, only when God comes as Yeshua, as Jesus, only then is it that an Israelite achieves complete faithfulness to the Lord. The Joshua we read about in this book, he was a great man. He was a man empowered by God. God was with him. God used him to accomplish his purposes. 
God used him to do amazing things. But Joshua could not make the people always obey God. He couldn't do that. He didn't have that power. But the Joshua that we read about in the New Testament, this man was different. Because God was not only with Jesus, they were one and the same. Jesus is God in human flesh. He was fully God, is fully God, and fully man. Joshua challenged the Israelites to live for the Lord, but Jesus, Jesus provided the way for that to actually happen. On our own, we fail to live according to God's commands, but that's why Jesus came, why he died for our sins, past, present, and future. Now, God's people have been restored to a right relationship with their Lord, not because of what they do, but because of what Jesus has done. His death on the cross allows us to receive his faithfulness. It allows us to have a right standing before God. Where sin once separated us from God, now there is an unbreakable bond. However, this is not a condition that you're born into. As, uh, as my father likes to say, it's a relationship you must choose. If you want to know the true Joshua, if you want to know Jesus Christ, then turn away from your sin. Turn away from your rebellion against him. Turn towards Jesus in complete faith and complete trust because he alone can make you right with God. He alone can bring you into the eternal promised land. You can talk to me about that. You can talk to any of our leaders or someone you know who is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. I urge you, talk to them about how you can have a relationship with the true Joshua, Jesus. Well, friends, I hope you appreciated just this taste of the book of Joshua, and I hope you're ready to see what else God has to say to us in this amazing part of his word. We're going to study through this exciting book, and we're going to see how God faithfully fulfilled his promises to his people. We will read a message that God is faithful, and he is ready to move forward. This book will challenge us to respond to God's grace. It will paint a picture for us in every chapter of the perfect embodiment, the perfect picture of God's faithfulness and love, a man we know as Jesus Christ. So next week, we're going to look and see what God has to say to us in chapter one. But for now, today, let's respond with worship to our faithful God, because he alone is worthy.